0: Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary, and today I have an incredible interview for you. I am sitting down with Chris McChesney. He is the uh, global practice lead of execution at Franklin Covey. He is a Wall Street Journal number one national bestseller with the book, The Four Disciplines of Execution. Chris leads Franklin Covey's international practice team and practice implementations. Uh, Franklin Covey, you may have recognized him from, uh, or the name rather from uh, this, Dr. Stephen Covey's book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This is the organization that uh, Dr. Covey created. And obviously, Chris is, is a part of his organization and he's been there since day one. Um, he has implemented the four disciplines of execution, speaking about leadership transparency simplicity in your life in your business he's worked on these disciplines with state of georgia marriott international shaw ritz carlton kroger coca-cola comcast frito-lay lockheed martin gaylord entertainment largest some of the largest organizations in the world he's the one that implements these practices that he's written about and that he teaches. It's a great show, Chris is an incredible, incredible charismatic individual. He's one of uh, Franklin Covey's most sought after and requested speakers. Um, You will love this episode, stay tuned. He speaks about how to use transparency and simplicity to do absolutely everything better. Thanks again for joining me. Today, I am sitting down with Chris McChesney, who is a Wall Street Journal bestseller. He is the author of The Four Disciplines of Execution. He is a leader at the Franklin Covey uh, Institute. We've had two other individuals from this organization on the show. Um, He has more uh, than a decade in building out Franklin Covey's design and development through these principles. He's worked in leadership and management Organize um consultation he's helped organize uh, organizations both his own as well as uh as well as some of his clients grow and manage um pre-pandemic but also the uh the tumultuous times we've had over the past year as well so you know chris we're gonna break down what you've done to get into the spot you're in now where you came from how did you align with uh, an awesome organization and i can say that now because i've you know I've read the book, I've interviewed two of your peers, and now you're gonna be the third. Um, so how did you get into Franklin Covey? And then also, let's talk about the book, how it, you know, how, how it uh, applies to people pre-COVID, especially throughout COVID, and I'm just really happy to, to have you on, so thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Scott. Well, it's interesting that you asked that question, how I got on with Franklin Covey, because this month is 30 years. Um, 30 with years with the org.
0: Oh, I know. wow.
1: I, 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 uh... I, 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 start, I tell people I started as a uh, – it was an Eagle Scout project. I started <laughs> kind of young. But that, actually, that's a more credible I, – I, they would not interview me. And I was uh, I was in college at the time, and Stephen Covey – it was the Covey Leadership Center. Stephen Covey was right down the street. I was a huge. I see the Seven Habits book right over your your uh, left shoulder there. Right, right here? Yeah. And, and it had just come out. It had only been out about a year. And I was dying – To work, like this was my passion. Like I had decided this was something I was going to do and they couldn't, they wouldn't interview me. And so I had this crazy scheme and I pretended to work for the local newspaper and I told them I was writing an article on the fastest growing companies in the state and could I interview Stephen Covey? And they wouldn't let me, they wouldn't let me get near Dr. Covey, but I interviewed (laughs) the VP of HR. And then the second lie, I, I told them I needed an internship and I really didn't. But while i was there interviewing them i said i could use an internship and they they hired me as as an intern the uh the newspaper published my article to keep me from being a complete liar and uh four months later i got called into human resources and they said look kid this what you're doing is illegal like we cannot not on your part they said on our part there's no internship we found this out you've just been a stowaway for four months you can't they said, we don't have the heart to fire you. It's funny. There's an episode of Seinfeld where 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 Kramer just goes to work for some company he doesn't work for. But I did this before Kramer did it. And unlike Kramer, they did not fire me. Uh, they, they hired me on in, in uh, 1991 for uh, a few bucks an hour. And that is how I got on with Franklin Covey.
0: That's an awesome story, man. I, I, no, I had no idea that was your story before you, you yeah. just told me. Now, that's a great yeah. story. That shows some tenacity. Now... I wouldn't wouldn't highly recommend everybody emulate <laughs> yeah, exactly like, what you did, but there's some lessons there. There's definitely yeah. some lessons and, and if you want it, go get it. And I'd say that gets people's attention. If you start writing articles on them, good for you, man. So so this is your whole career. Your whole career is with this organization then. I 30, left for a year, years. did a
1: sabbatical for a company in ninety-six. Um and yeah, I, I would that's that's fair to say. This has been my yeah, thirty years, wow. and okay. the education that I got, as much as you'd learn from being at, at Covey Leadership and Franklin Covey, as it became in ninety seven, um, and that you're surrounded, you're always pushed. We always tell people that we say, you know, you are going to get pushed and stretched. The the most learning really came from the clients. Um, we learn a lot from the organizations and the leaders that we get to work with. If you're paying attention, you can learn a lot.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think that that's probably some of the, the most rewarding work when you work in a consulting or a, a leadership or an organizational consulting role. Um, so let's tee it up just for people like a, a quick sentence for people that don't know what Franklin Covey is. Um, yeah. What's the organization trying to accomplish? Why has everybody heard about the seven habits? Um, and it's sort of a 360 because I think a lot of people like myself, before I started interviewing everybody on your team, I've read the book. I know the book but didn't know the whole organization. So just a quick brief on that one.
1: Yeah. So the Franklin Covey is a is a um, worldwide. We have we have over 100 international offices um, and we're a pretty significant presence in the United States. Um, Really leadership development firm um, is is probably a a good way to capture what we do, whether it's personal leadership or Mm -hmm. organizational leadership. And if there's something that is unique about our organization, we are very focused on first principles, on underlying truths, right? Um, Dr. Covey was a big believer that best practices were a dime a dozen. But if you could really identify a fundamental law, a truth, you know, you think about avionics and flying an airplane, the four truths are lift, thrust, weight, and drag. Like if you understand those four principles, or laws, you can go a long way, and so that's sort of if there's one theme that runs through our work, it's the understanding and the application of principles. I think probably is a good way to say
0: it. Good, 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 uh, good definition. Um, and what do you do? What's your your day to day at uh, Franklin Covey? All
1: right. So I uh, right now they've, they've in the last two years they've said Chris. Because I like to get in everybody's business. they said, Chris, this is your lane, Chris. We have a lane for you. (laughs) You get to speak and you get to talk. And uh, that's been really fun. So the last, uh, basically the last two decades, I've been building a a practice within Franklin Covey. So if you've ever thrown out the term intrapreneur, right? Somebody Mm -hmm. that's an entrepreneur inside of an organization. That's kind of been a textbook definition of my role for the last two years. Two decades has been building this this portion of the organization, this execution practice um, within Franklin Covey, and now um, they've said you don't get to do that anymore, Chris. You get to you get to write and you get to talk. They've taken I think they took all the nonsense from me they could handle, and so now uh, it's, it's very rewarding. I, I'm still very closely associated with the practice, but it's it's in more capable hands at the moment
0: yeah that's because yeah <laughs> that that's where eventually you know being in an organization being in an organization for 30 years the longest i've been in an organization is about 7 or 8 years so i can only imagine after 30 years um you you quasi feel like you you run the show to some extent just cuz you've been there the, for such a long time well, and i feel they, like you're a fixture right
1: <laughs> yeah but, but the thing is, is that the organization changed so much that it's a different organization today than it was seven years ago and, and true. the seven years before yeah. that. So even though, yeah, even though I've been there a long time, it's, it, it, it just keeps, you know, organizations reinvent themselves and they morph. So it's been, yeah, it's, it's not been uh, it's, it's not been redundant at all.
0: <laughs> no, it's true. And that's actually sort of a testament to, I think, um, uh, how a lot of, we're going to talk about this and I was actually, I was actually listening, to your podcast with Scott, which I'm pretty sure just went live today. was listening to it while I was working out this morning. And um, one of the topics you brought up was pivoting. And it's actually, that was a beautiful segue, unplanned, beautiful segue. So pivoting, staying with the times. Let's speak about um, some of the things that you are witnessing with businesses because you deal with a lot of them. You learn a lot of lessons from the businesses that you consult with, um, how they have managed themselves over the past, two years now, God forbid, two years. Um, What are some things that you're seeing?
1: Well, there's a high level dynamic. It's a really good question, Scott. I think, let let me start with what's universal, what appears to be universal. What appears to be universal is that everybody seems to be at a pivot of some kind right now, which is unique over the last 20 years that we've been doing this work. You know, healthcare's is always talking about how much change is going on there and this industry and high tech complains about the rate and the pace of change. So there's always that change dynamic, but nothing like what we're experiencing right now. Coming out of the pandemic, whether you're changing for survival, more often right now, people are pivoting and changing to drive an opportunity. They're trying to take advantage of something or their customers changing and because their customers changing, they're having to change. And so everybody seems to be in this pivot spot. Well, the interesting corollary that goes along with that right now is that on a human level, people, the people that have to drive this change are experiencing so much personal uncertainty and ambiguity and change. It's like this kind of perfect execution storm where everybody's got to move, but the people that have to do it are like, I can't take any more crazy. Like, just Give me a break, would you? And so that dynamic, like when you talk about that, everybody goes, do you have cameras? Like, are you spying on us? Did you, did you like, so that is the, now that it looks differently in different places, but that theme about Moving, having to pivot, and with a group of people that are pretty much, yeah, I've I've had about all I can take right now.
0: Yeah. So okay, so that <laughs> that's about that's about the exact situation that's probably occurring in almost every company uh, in in the world right now, give or take, right? Except people maybe that already had something that was optimized for, uh, say, like virtual event providers or people that already were selling yeah, masks right. pre-pandemic. Right. Everybody else is is trying to figure it out, right? So yeah. So, um, how, what are what are some of the ways that people are surviving? What are some of the ways that you see leaders actually overcoming personal issues while simultaneously dealing with mental health, stress, pressure, sickness, sometimes, um, yep. but also uh, guiding their organization successfully? Because it's happening.
1: Yeah, you know, you know, the the, the the human condition is an interesting one. You know, people people are capable of of complaining under the best of times right we will we will we will take any luxury for granted we we've never been more prosperous as a right as a world than we are right now and we've never been bigger belly acres right even in a pandemic people from 100 years ago would go what are you complaining about look at your lives people so there's this one dynamic that says yeah you, you can't make people happy no matter what. But then there's this other thing on the positive side, which is people are incredibly resilient at the same time. So even though we bellyache and we, we always like you know find ourselves complaining about even the best of circumstances, but at the same time, I've been really like I've seen a lot of really great responses. Um, some organizations will tell us, you know, we're, we're executing on things today that we have not been able to execute on. Like this shook us out of the malaise that we've sort of been in. So, so you hear that. Our, our advice and the, and the clients that we're working with, we're really trying to get leaders heads around this one idea that says, look, if we know you have to pivot. We know you have to execute. Can you do it in a way that doesn't increase personal ambiguity and uncertainty? Like what if the one thing you have to execute on right now, what if that didn't spike uncertainty and ambiguity the way that new goals usually do? What if that new thing felt like a winnable game? What if it felt like the one piece of sanity in an otherwise crazy world? And and it's been a really nice, that's been a really nice um, Way to utilize kind of our methodology in the four disciplines is let's take let's take ambiguity and you know gut wrenching uncertainty out of goal setting and performance right now. This is a really this would be a really nice time to do that, and so that's been that's kind of been our angle and 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 how we've been working with people.
0: So let's let's uh, let's cue up the the four disciplines and what they're actually so four disciplines are four disciplines. Uh, that are focused on executing, executing in a business context, in a leadership yep. context. This is obviously what the, you know, this is the book that you just re-released. Um, right.
1: Today. Today is actually the today, day. Today, actually. Today, we're recording it on
0: Tuesday, April 20th. Uh, yeah. So congratulations. That's exciting. Um, it's very exciting. So uh actually so what's what's the what's the re-release about like if people have already checked out this book what is the re-release and then i actually want to go into some of the more tactical stuff but i'm just curious what's the yeah
1: yeah so the the, if if you're familiar with the four disciplines the the re-release about 30 percent new content really a lot of focus on where to use this approach and where not to use this approach Okay. So this is not, you know, vitamin C. This is not good for what ails you. This is heavy medicine, right? Okay. And, and where do leaders apply these disciplines and where not to? How do leaders of leaders, we go into much more detail on how organizational leaders apply this. Uh, we do a lot with leaders that are finding themselves managing projects and they're not project managers. How do you apply yeah. the disciplines to a project goal instead of a, of, of a performance type goal? And then finally, sustainability. A lot of organizations have been at this for almost a decade. How do you keep it fresh? How do you keep it alive? So those are kind of, I guess, the headlines or the highlights of how of what's new in the second edition.
0: And they're, they're valid points because I can I can tell you from personal experience, the, the leaders of leaders point is something that nobody really nobody, <laughs> nobody learns in school. I it's a very know. difficult thing. Um, it's one of the most difficult things to figure out. And then also just the project management piece when, again, another leader of leaders, things when you're managing tasks that if you're in sales and you love selling and you move into sales manager and you move into director sales and you move into VP sales, well, now you have to manage projects. And, now, and actually, yeah, that's one of the reasons why it. some people don't like those executive roles because there's a lot of leaders of leadership type uh, requirements and there's a lot of project management type requirements that... It's so far from the actual act, right? Yep. Anyways, good good advice, and we'll we'll get into it. By the way,
1: Scott, I'm glad you said that about leaders of leaders. I'm glad that because the uh, one of the co-authors of the book, Jim Hewling and I, are actually starting right now. We had the same thought you did. We're starting right now um, another work on leading leaders, and we don't know if that's the name of the book. Um, It's a damn good name, and it's the most difficult thing and we, we 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 had to cut this chapter short. We had so much on this topic, and yeah. and we, st- we had to say, Scott, we said the same thing you did. There's not a lot out there. there's a lot on leadership in a general sense, but in terms of the specific dynamics of when you're a leader and you have to lead another leader, that yeah. is not at least at least we've not seen a great deal on those unique dynamics. so that is something that we're looking at right now
0: oh, it's a good, it's a good topic, and I know that the the audience here, some of them. Everybody here is career focused, trying to build something themselves. So uh, I would just say, if you aren't leading leaders right now, regardless of whether or not you're starting a side hustle, right. building something, you're an entrepreneur and you wanna build something in an organization, there will be a point where this will be applicable in this your career, it may be not relevant. be today, right. but figure it out so you don't have to go through hell and trial by fire when you're actually living it. Um, anyway, you're okay, so let's-
1: you're going to, yeah. Yeah. This will be the reward of success.
0: If exactly you exactly
1: you will be leading leaders that's right that's this exactly is coming. yeah
0: okay so uh we're trying to remove ambiguity we're trying to take on tasks that ambiguity um so that everything's clear everything is comforting we see the end result we see the vision so first of all how do we do that and then how do we apply say these four principles to executing when we have that clear vision so first how do we get rid of that ambiguity
1: Yeah. So let's do this. Let's, let's put up sort of two obstacles and then let's maybe walk through the disciplines. So the one obstacle is it's not that people, we think this, but it's not that people necessarily resist change. We think people resist change because it looks like they're resisting change a lot. What they resist is uncertainty. People initiate change quite a bit. So it's, it's really unfair to say that it's a human dynamic to resist change. What people resist is the uncertainty that often comes with change. Okay. So if you said uncertainty is sort of one issue, and then the, the, here's the second issue that gets in the way of execution. And it's, it's urgency. It took us a long time to sort of see this. This was hiding in plain sight that any goal that you're trying to achieve, any strategic priority, anything that's really important, will always compete with the day job. And we've given the day job a nickname called the whirlwind, right? So this day job, this whirlwind, always feels urgent, immediate. Oh, I've got to get back to so-and-so. Oh, I promised I might have that done. Oh, I've got to do this. Oh, I've still got seven unanswered emails. Oh, 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 right? And so we're working all day long and you can live in the whirlwind And not move on anything strategic and and here's the other problem in the moment when a human being is confronted with a choice between something that's happening right now or spending energy on something far more important but less urgent the human default does not go to importance the human default goes to urgency this is the great barrier to strategic execution we're not wired for it we are wired for immediacy so you think about those two factors: this this resistance to uncertainty, and this this whirlwind of urgency that we have to execute through. So if you just think of those two things, and then the what are the what are the four disciplines? All right. Well, the first one is called discipline. One is called focus on the wildly important, and it's a decision that a that a leader or an entrepreneur, or a professional person makes when they say. I'm going to give something disproportionate energy. I'm not going to ignore, it doesn't mean I got to ignore everything else. Everything else can go into whirlwind, but something's going to get disproportionate energy. And I'm going to, and not only am I going to narrow the focus, but I'm going to, it's a little bit like focusing a camera. I'm going to bring it into focus. I'm going to give it a starting line. I'm going to give it a finish line. I'm going to give it a deadline. And there's a whole science around how you do that in an organizational setting and how you do that between levels. But that's what the first discipline is all about. The first discipline is all about targeting, getting really clear on. Well, let me, let me give you a quote. Um, I really like this. this. This was something that was said to us 20 years ago by the gentleman who's now the president of Chick-fil-A. He was VP of operations at the time. His name is Tim Tisopoulos. And he said, when I meet with a leader, he so you got one of the, got one of the planet's really good operators, right? He said, when I meet with a leader, the first thing I want to know is where is that leader putting disproportionate focus, dispro- where are they spending? Like, I don't want to know your seven priorities. I, I want to know w- number one. I want to know what's your big bet, what's your play right now. Otherwise, I know if they don't have that, they're on the defensive. <laughs> they're, they're just, they're just trying to put Putting on fires. Right. They're putting out fires. They just want to get yeah. through the week, right? Yeah. And he says, it really helps me know where a leader's head is. And, we, and, and I think that little statement started to influence the way we use the discipline. So, so I got discipline one is about what I'm going after. Discipline two is called act on the lead measures. So if discipline one is about the principle of focus, discipline two is the principle of leverage. It basically says, look, I'm just, I've just identified something that by definition, I can't move. Otherwise, I wouldn't have identified it. I've, I've just deliberately picked this really important thing that's really hard. And so if you think about a rock that's too heavy to move, yeah, and then you picture a lever, like you get a fulcrum, you get a lever under there, right? And you know, what are the characteristics of a lever? Well, a lever, unlike the rock, you can move it. The lever is influenceable, and when the lever moves, the rock moves, so the lever's predictive. And so for 20 years, we have been, I had our heads into this idea of where's the leverage? Okay, so the classic example that everybody gets is weight loss. So people know, okay, if losing weight is the heavy rock I've just not been able to accomplish, right? Diet and exercise really are the lever, right? I can act. I don't always act on them, but I can, right? And they're predictive. If I stay with it, it works. Right. Sometimes we don't believe it works, but it works, right? So so it's predictive and influenceable. And what we found is that in every field of human endeavor, if you can get the targets low enough down to where the work is happening, you can find leverage points. You can find what we call lead measures. Now, a lead, so a lead measure, predictive and influenceable, is not the same as a predictive indicator. Just one little distinction on this. If I was trying to grow corn, right? And crop production was my wildly important goal. That's what we call the targets in discipline one. We call them wigs or wildly important goals. My wildly important goal or my lag measure, right, was crop growth, like similar to weight loss. A predictive indicator of crop growth would be rainfall, right? We had had a lot of rainfall. We're going to have a good crop growth. Okay, well,
0: you can't control it.
1: very good Scott right it's predictive but it ain't influenceable right lead measures are not predictive indicators lead measures are true leverage they're influenceable and they're predictive all right so so getting so you might have an organization with eight nine different teams each team we we really limit you to one wildly important goal per team per work group at a time this is what we found (laughs) people can handle the day job plus one Right? So they got one wig The team has been very involved in creating the lead measures. Discipline three now is called um, keep a compelling scoreboard. And it's really about for me, it's about throwing the game on switch like that's a, that. To me, that's a that's a tangible. It's a binary switch when someone goes. All right. It's live game on. Right. And I engage. And the hypothesis that you've created in discipline one and discipline two doesn't put it into motion. But the minute you go game on and for us, that's been a scoreboard. So we we have an app, uh, 4DXOS, um, that we've got over a half a million people on right now, utilizing and, and in very simple terms, it's not like it's not like a business scoreboard, it's not like a spreadsheet, it's not like, well, like a coach, we, we think of it this way, it's not a coach's scoreboard. You, you need those, you have those. This is a player's scoreboard, okay? So if you think about the scoreboard at any athletic event, it's much more like that than it is the spreadsheet they hand the coach at halftime. So that's discipline three. Does the team, Can we take what we did in disciplines one and two and can we make it go game on? And the discipline four is create a cadence of accountability. And that is every week right? Every team that owns a scoreboard, each individual making commitments and then reporting the next week, like in addition to the 100 things I got to do this week, what's the one or two things that are going to ensure we do the lead measures? Like if my lead measures are diet and exercise, right? What would a commitment be? We'll do diet and exercise. No, 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 no. We know that. My commitment might be it's going to rain next week, so I'm going to get that gym membership because I hate running in the rain. Or I'm going to go to Whole Foods because I've got these recipes, but I don't have the the ingredients, right? And I've got to, right, I've got to, right, want to make sure that I'm not eating junk and that I'm hitting that calorie lead measure. So discipline one, get the focus. Discipline two, get the leverage. Discipline three, game on. And then discipline four, if you've ever heard the adage, force against leverage, that's, right, that's applying that force. And so what we found is by doing that, we're able to drive activities into an otherwise schedule of urgency and do it in a way that it doesn't feel overwhelming to people where they're like, I don't even know where to start.
0: So on now we something,
1: have right? breaks it down.
0: Yeah so this is this is the formula to overcome that inherent human need to focus on the urgent and then align it with that North Star metric those business goals. This is the formula you that allows you to action to, it's actionable now. All right, this is i like this a lot i like this a lot so this is this is what you have been working on with organizations to pivot for successfully. Ages. yeah but put also but yes
1: in, put that line in the holy grail we've been looking for it for some time yeah <laughs> you've been working so, on this for some time ages yeah 20 years we've been so, refining we've been refining remember what i said about franklin covey and principles like yeah these are the principles focus leverage engagement accountability
0: I love it. Okay, so um, what has that been doing for organizations in COVID that are trying to pivot? Let's, let's, let's work through some examples or your experience and case studies, whatever you want to go into, so we can you know, see the result. Because yes, these are great. They make sense. Um, you've probably used them on companies.
1: Yeah, one of the things we've been amazed with is how universal they are. So, you know, we've had organizations that are trying to create a new fiber, at Kimberly Clark, right? Which is like weird science. Like you're trying to create matter that's like never really even, we've never even seen before, right? And, and you've got these research and development engineers. So on one end of the spectrum, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got one of our co-authors, BJ Walker, um, goes around now, she's sort of famous in her own right. She goes around state governments on ridiculous problems. She used the four disciplines 15 years ago to reduce, check this one out reduce repeat cases of child abuse she lowered it by 60% across an entire state georgia went from having the biggest backlog of social services cases to having no backlog at all like she's a weapon um and and so like there there the application of this was way broader than we first like we were thinking you know we want to have a more consultative sales approach or yeah, we want to you know we were thinking of, you know it just pure like business terms and it's amazing in those in those areas if you do it right like it's like anything else you gotta do it right
0: how do you do it right then
1: application (laughs) well all right so how do you do it right okay yeah yeah and and, actually a lot that's a lot of what's in the second book is like we put this thing out there right it sold a million copies and we got people trying it right we have our consulting practice so we have a number of people you know. We, a big chunk of what we do is helping people with this. There's a lot of people doing it on their own with the book. And we learned, wait a minute, oh, we know what we said, but what we said isn't always what they heard. So the second mm-hmm. book gives us the chance to say, whoa, 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 whoa. So when we say wildly important, we don't mean your biggest goal. Like we know, we know that profitability is the wildly important goal in a sense, but that's not what we meant. What we meant was What's the targeted objective? What's the specific objective? It's, it's increasing subscription revenue in first time buyers. That's the wildly important goal. Like, like we were, we were talking about which the, what's the most critical chapter in the book, that's your wig. They would give us the title of the book and we are like, no, 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 no. You can't, if you start with the title of the book, there is no lead measure for that. Like. It, it breaks down. So there were just these ways that we started pivoting around. So, so I would say, how do you do it right? You know, getting tactical with it. You know, really picking your battles, truly focusing, was a critical piece. Um, lead measures. Let the teams own the lead measures. Even if you're sure as a leader, you know the answer. You ruin it if you, in this sense, if you just give them the answer because you you took all the engagement out of it let them crack the code let them own it like one of the things we say is this is for four disciplines is for goals that you can't accomplish just because you're the boss like if you can fix it if you can mandate it or buy it then mandate it or buy it and be done with it okay 4dx is for the stuff you can't mandate and you can't buy if you can't mandate it and you can't buy it and you've got to get the hearts and minds of your people involved that's where this stuff really makes an impact so how to utilize your people? So there's like, there's like little subset rules inside of each one. And people, people aren't always great at it the first time they try it, but it's like any game you learn. We think of it like a game. Once you've played it a couple of rounds, you're like, "Oh, okay, I got this thing now. I know what to do with this thing. So don't give up on it. If you get frustrated, don't give up on it.
0: Um, I could see that because this, like you said, if you can mandate or if you can mandate it or you can buy it, do that, but this is meant to, align the team, to bring the team in, to get them to see the vision, to yeah. get them to see the goals so that everybody can execute, right? There's congruence. But uh, let me
1: add something to that, Scott. Yeah. The, the 80% of your work is like already locked in, like the day yeah. job, right? And, and then all the fight, you know, all the investments we make, all that's boss decisions. So four disciplines is for that, like 20% of the effort where we say we've got to have a breakthrough.
0: Yeah. Right. And that's, that's a so big I don't apply and, uh, rules
1: to everything else, but, but when it's a breakthrough, that's where these rules apply.
0: No, I was just going to say um, it's a big deal when you're trying, especially in a pandemic environment, when you're trying to realign the org towards something that could save your business or your org. Yeah. But one of the things when you're doing major realignment is getting that buy-in. And yep. maybe not everybody read the book. And maybe you say, hey, go check out the book. And they don't, they don't wanna read the book and they don't buy into it. So what do you do? What do you do yeah. when your team's not buying into it?
1: So um, we wrote, a, wrote an article recently kind of for non-book readers um, called the five, uh, five traps that leaders fall into. And it was sort of like, without getting into the full methodology, there's just some things that leaders can be very clear on even if, even if you haven't fully dove into the full methodology. Yeah. So we would say, so let's maybe, let's, let's do this like don'ts. Like here are the things you don't do. Like so, so there is no four disciplines of execution, but as a leader, don't do this. So first of all, yeah. don't gang tackle goals. Don't over goal the organization. Now you may have a lot of changes that you can make. And, and, and excuse me, there may be a lot of changes you have to make. And if you can buy some of those changes, right? Okay, we're going to need new equipment in the back room. Da da da. We're going to need. Uh, we're going to need to hire a new marketing uh, uh, partner. Da da da. We're going to need. Right? We're going to need to buy that ad campaign. We're going to need to. Right? Stuff I can buy, and then stuff I can mandate. Okay, we need a new structure. Okay, we're going to have the ICAs reporting to the RPLs, and you know what I mean. We 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 can we can, right? Those things. Yeah, we can handle a number of those. But when it comes to breakthroughs, when it comes to oh. This is a goal either they're, they're either going to be into this or it's not going to work. Don't do more than one of those per team at the same time. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. a, that's a right? that's like a leadership law. Like even if you don't buy into our whole methodology, like don't violate that law. The other one, don't substitute concepts for targets. It's very easy for leaders to get attached to concepts. Right? We have got to be more consultative with our customers, says the boss in the memo, that they forget about 30 seconds after they've read it. <laughs> right? That's a concept. Right? What's a target? Right? How, do we, how do we be more, okay, you know, how many accounts do we have where we've, we're talking to multiple contacts at that account? Oh, okay. Well, I don't know. I just do that outright. But, but what, yeah. like, concepts don't execute. Targets execute. The language of execution. So be sure that whatever you're pushing isn't a concept. It's a target. That would be something you don't do. Oh, here's another one. Don't confuse. <laughs> don't confuse persuasion with engagement. Okay. Oh, it's a good one. That's a good one. In other words, like, I'm a leader, and I, like, I, I'm so guilty of this. As a person, as a human being, I am so guilty of this. But don't live under this myth that if I can just convince them how right the answer is, they'll do it. That oddly has very little to do with whether they'll do it. They'll (laughs) sit there and go, brilliant, Chris. That's fantastic. Fabulous. Key to our future. And then they'll forget they ever talked to you and they'll go back to the day job. You don't persuade, right? It's more about can I involve them? Can I engage them? Will, can I get them to help me find the answer as opposed to, you know, convincing them that I'm smart and I'm a good boss and my strategy is good. Like, geez, I had to learn that one the hard way. And, and the people I work for will tell you, yeah, we're not sure Chris has really learned that. totally.
0: Yet. Well, but, no, it's like, tough that's though. Hard, that's...
1: So there's just these, like, there's just these, the, there are just some sort of higher level laws about, right. When it comes to, when it comes to execution.
0: No, I was, I was just going to say that's probably the hardest thing to do it's to It's to get people to buy in, and you always have and i actually didn't I didn't mean get leaders to buy in. I actually meant get your team to buy in when yeah. you have like naysayers on your team as well because that's incredibly difficult if If you haven't shown the results, they
1: yeah default
0: to what they've been doing
1: that's right and so one thing on that we've realized too is that if you look at an average team. You have sort of a spectrum in terms of adop- something we call an adoption curve, right? So there'll be, let's say, we got a team of ten people. This is this is like a wild generalization, but you'll be surprised how often it's true. Okay. 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 All right. So you got a team of ten people, and you're trying to do something new. You got two of them that are right in there and supporting you right out of the shoots. You know more than said it. They would matter. Of fact, they might have been doing it before you said it. Okay, those are what we call the models. We'd love to model everybody after them. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got two people. They're not going to do it no matter what. You with me right there? We call those the nevers. So you get the models on one end. You get the nevers on the other. and Inevitably, you've got these six folks in the middle who are the not yets. They're not yet there. But they say all the right stuff. They're like, yeah, I get why you're doing it. I understand it. Totally support what you're doing, Chris. But then they don't do anything. All right? So you got so you got models, not yets, yeah. and nevers. Here's the irony. Most leaders fixate on the nevers. Because they're this visible example of what you don't want. And they fight with you. And they argue with you. But the truth is, the nevers are no different than the not yets. They're all not doing anything. Yeah. And we fixate. And so the first thing we tell leaders is... Let go of your energy around the nevers. They're never coming over. <laughs> Promote them to customer. It's one of our examples right, here, right? But don't give that your energy. And, and by the way, and so then the second place that leaders tend to focus after they're done focusing on the nevers is they focus on the models. Because the models are so rewarding and they're so exciting to be around. And there's such a validation of your great strategies. But guess what? The models are already doing it. There's no opportunity there. All your opportunity is with the six. And those are the people that get the least amount of attention. So one of the mantras that we have at execution on to your question, Scott, is move the middle. Don't, right. If I got to work with the nevers, I got to deal with human issues. And I got to deal with why you didn't get the promotion, why I got the promotion, why you didn't get the promotion, why you disagree with this, all your gear. Like, no, like, don't give that your energy right now. Your number one objective is the six people in the middle who could be doing it, who have the ability to do it, but are so lost in the day job. And that's a great place to start. Matter of fact, this same same bell curve works across franchises where you have hundreds of units working for you. Move the middle. You're always going to have, we tell leaders this, you are always going to have variability. You're always going to have pockets of great performance. And you're always going to have, vari- whether you are Marriott or whether you're the worst hotel company in the world, you're going to have great performers and you're going to have variability, but leaders, just because you have variability does not mean you have to accept the shape of your curve, right? You want to move where you want to be is you want, you want seven modeling, one still in the not yet and two nevers and you get all the results you can handle with that formula. Like. That, so that's just, it's a mindset around how you tackle those objectives that require that human buy-in. That was a very high level cursory cut, but did that make no, sense? No, it's a
0: good advice. It's good advice because I, I know that that's, there's, there's just speaking from experience, like these are the issues that I've dealt with in my career and I see other people struggle with, leading leaders and getting buy-in. Um, and the only thing that we actually didn't touch on that's also a, a huge uh, pain point when you're trying to strategize in an organization, you have some sort of leadership position, you have to figure out how to manage up. And that's another thing. If you read this book and you love this stuff yeah. and how do you manage it? I don't know. That's a whole other show maybe, but that's also a pain in the ass, no, I, right? I got,
1: I got a thought on that
0: one. All right, let's do it. Cause that's also useful for people.
1: Um, and, and just this is more personal than the four disciplines. There's one. There's one insight we know from four disciplines when it comes to managing up. Um, first insight is be very aware of where you have a concern versus where you have influence. You know the that Seven Habits book over your left shoulder. His predominant model in there is the circle of influence, circle of concern model, right. People who are highly effective do not put energy against things just because they concern them. Just because you don't like it. Just because you're angry with it. Just because you think it's stupid. Just because it hurts you. The whole world has fallen into this crazy victim mentality. That is just giving energy to the circle of concern. right? The circle of influence is, all right, what can I actually influence? Where is this leader actually listening to me? Over which results do I actually affect? And the rule is when people put energy against their circle of influence, that smaller circle, it gets bigger. When people put energy against all the things that concern them, their circle of influence gets smaller. You can watch. That is the number one most, in my opinion, most useful mental model for managing a career, putting energy against your circle of influence. Okay. So that's rule sort of, that's the dominant rule with number one one of the things that you can do when it comes to managing up is understand the agenda of your leaders, be less concerned about persuading them and be more concerned about understanding them. All right. Maybe I don't like what you're doing, but let me understand why like, like people are really useful. You can feel as you listen to people, the greatest need of the human soul is to be understood when you take the time and you invest in a leader that you think is crazy. What you find, first of all, they'll give you the time if you're really interested in understanding them. And you don't have an agenda other than to understand what is it they're really trying to accomplish. They'll talk to you, right? So you feel your influence start to expand, right? As you First of all, you recognize where you're going to give energy. And second, you really invest in understanding them. Third, when it comes to what you do, even though a leader, let's say a leader has got ridiculous number of objectives that they're piling on top of you. We hear this all the time. They want me to do this, they want me to do this, they want me to do this, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if they could think of more things, they can put more things on you as well. They can only think of 12, that's why you got 12. If they could think of 20, you'd have 20. All right, here's the rule. Even though they can put all those on you, mentally put all those things just in the day job. Give it whatever you can, do the best you can, but you, leaders, you still get to pick what's the wig within your own circle of influence. You get to say within your own team, you get to say, hey, I know they want us to do these 12 things, but guess what? We're doubling down on subscriptions for first time users. And we think it's going to have a halo effect on a whole bunch of other stuff. We had, a, we had a plant manager at Frito-Lay tell us after we presented the four disciplines. He said, I just got plant manager of the year. He said, I didn't know anything about your four disciplines. He said, but last year, and that's kind of where I got the 12 from. He said, he said they gave me 12 critical objectives, but our team only focused on one. And we were plant of the year because the one thing that we hit had a nice halo effect. They don't know that we didn't spread our energy evenly across all 12. So anyways, that's just some top of mind. You still get to, it doesn't matter who your boss is. You still get to apply these principles. Within your circle of influence, and the best way to manage up is what Dr. Covey teaches around habits four, five, and six. You know, and 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 habit five—that's code for think win win, seek first to understand and synergize.
0: Yeah, very good. Very no, very good advice. I appreciate you filling the gaps. I don't remember what four, five, and six are off top of my
1: head. <laughs> I, know, have, I, just, I was like, oh we're shit. shit. <laughs> We're out here
0: yeah no that's good that's good um okay so uh we we went through a lot of stuff with the book um i want to just ask a couple rapid fire just about your career and some lessons you yeah, um, before we before we move off um is there anything else that you wanted to just plug speak about book otherwise that we didn't go into
1: um no this is this is great um we're you know we're very accessible uh if you if you if you'd like more on this, if you you, you want to do con- we do a lot of virtual conferences now. We do live. We're getting back into live conferences. Uh, Chris Mcchesney4dx.com. Uh, if if you if you if you're interested in having, um, if you need a speaker or that sort of thing, or you think this is a good topic, and then um, also the 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 just FranklinCovey.com, the website for any of the tools on this. If you're interested in the app. Uh, you can learn all about that at, at, uh, at FranklinCovey.com.
0: Nice. Nice. Okay. So if you, I'll put some, you're going to send me some links or we'll get some links. I'll put them yeah. in the show notes too. So we can go check oh, that out. Thank you so much, Scott. Yeah. No, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you for coming on. Okay. Um, some quick, some quick rapid fire, uh, one piece. Yeah, for sure. No, no. So one piece of advice that you'd give somebody who wants to, uh, pursue a career in, I was going to say similar to yours. You have to define your career though before you give advice on how to pursue it.
1: <laughs> I know. There are a lot of people that wanted to. I wanted to do this twenty years ago. And, so what's um, yeah? Go ahead. It, it it took it took a while. Um, my one piece of it. First of all, um, I followed some mentors. Jim Stewart around execution. Stephen Covey, Mahan Khalsa. Like I I found the people that were doing the work that I really wanted to understand. And I found ways to support them and help them and learn from them. So it was, just, I heard it when I was in college, there was a speaker and the speaker said, stand on the shoulders of giants. Hmm. And man, that, that was some advice that paid dividends for me.
0: I'm going to add an appendix to that. What you said was not only to learn from them, but you help them. And I think that's yeah. where people miss the mark. They don't offer any value and they just say, hey, can you jump on a call? Can you teach me something? And some people will do that. But you really want to stand out because if the if the person is worth the time, there's a hundred other people asking them that as well. So sometimes you got to write an article going, about them.
1: I was going to work for Stephen Covey or I was going to go to jail. There
0: yeah. was no... <laughs> yeah, but, no, that's
1: you know, about I, the... I, a quote attributed to Einstein, which is there, there, there are a few problems that can withstand the constant onslaught of human thought.
0: It's a good quote. Like I you
1: like want to do something. You keep working the problem. Maybe you don't get the thing you're after, but you'll get something close.
0: Yeah. Good. I like that. Um, okay. What's, uh, what's a myth about leadership that you'd like to debunk?
1: I think the one that I was talking to a minute ago that um, – that the key to leading people is persuading them.
0: Good. Good.
1: Right. I think it's, it's it's sort of an unstated myth. You know, the key to leading people is is valuing them and and engaging them and listening to them and letting them influence you and persuasion is kind of a byproduct of all of that. And it often happens with people who still disagree with you and they're like, yeah, yeah I, if I was in your shoes I wouldn't do what you're doing but you're really a great person and you've really helped me and you're sure I'll support you, Chris. I think you're crazy, but I'll support you.
0: Like Sometimes that.
1: that's what it looks like.
0: It's a good lesson. It's a good lesson. Um, okay. Uh, resource could be book podcast that you'd recommend people go check out
1: the other book right over your left shoulder. Let's move one down to from seven habits to atomic habits, man. <laughs> James clear. That's a good one. Dude is on it, man. That's why I got my kids reading. We're gonna have a dinner this, this, uh, this with their home, and they know the only people that get to go to that dinner are the people that have read the book. I have seven children, so they know you don't read the book, you don't go to, you don't go to Cheesecake Factory.
0: I like that. That's I uh, I don't know if that's persuading or if it's just like yeah. mandating.
1: Yeah, it's a mandating one, right? It's like yeah. it's like you don't have to read the book, but also when we go to Cheesecake Factory, we're talking about Atomic Habits.
0: Yeah, and Cheesecake Factory is damn delicious, so I wouldn't miss that. That's not. damn that's... good stuff, right? <laughs> yes, I know. Um, all right. Uh a lesson you tell your younger self.
1: Oh. Really be okay with failure. Really be okay with failure. That it's gonna feel like failure most of the time. And yeah. um you know, if you can just stay in the game, um, even when it looks like you're failing, um, right? It, it, it's the it's the quitting that's the real failing, and it, it, it fe- emotionally it feels bad. Failing does not feel good, but all growth seems to be on the other side of that.
0: I like that, I like that a lot. Um, and then, last question: uh, What does success mean for you? Um.
1: Had this conversation with my oldest, with my daughter yesterday.
0: So you're good. And you're set up for this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I really like, first of all, let me tell you, I, I, I like the journey. And I keep reminding myself that I like the journey. Like, it's okay. Even though even though everything isn't where you want it to be, it's okay. Like, maybe the, maybe loving the journey is success. Maybe there isn't a point where you get to the top of the mountain and you say all the kids are happy and the business is rolling in on its own and you've got the perfect life balance and, you know, you know, I'm a big water skier and I've I've been able to ski consistently at, at, uh, you know, all six buoys at 34 miles an hour and maybe there is no summit. Maybe success is really loving the journey. And it sounds a bit cliche, but I'm kind of there.
0: I think that it sounds cliche, but it's true because I know people that at every level of their life, they've been successful to, they've been the definition, the classical definition of success. And you make a hundred K and there's more, you make a million and there's more, you make 50 million and you're still doing something else. You exit your company and all of a sudden you're building a new company because now you're bored with your life. Like people never stop. And I think that's really the,
1: I watched a YouTube clip on Floyd Mayweather Been yeah. watching boxing YouTube clips lately. And, and um, it was never enough. Like I yeah. thought, you know, come on, a hundred million, 500 million. Really? Yeah. wasn't, you know, he, he still wanted to scratch that itch. So it's gotta be about, it's gotta be about the journey.
0: It has to be. And, and people that are struggling, it's, I don't want this to come across as unsympathetic, to the reality that a lot of people deal yeah, with
1: yeah yeah i know that too yep
0: but seriously there is no end so i i'm aligned hundred percent get to a point where you're happy where you're safe where you're healthy and then that should be your benchmark and then from there enjoy the journey but hustle to get I to just, that point
1: Somehow Spotify put a song on my playlist or, or you know how it'll give you suggested you songs and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. One of the titles of the songs is called The Richest Guy in the Cemetery.
0: Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want to be yeah. the
1: Who wants to be the richest guy in the cemetery? Like, like yeah. that's the song, right? It was just about that. And that if, yeah. Now, but let me say this too. Um, one of the things I've told my children is that I don't care if they struggle in their careers, but I don't want them to be complacent like just like mm-hmm. there's no you know maybe there is no summit at the same time i think settling is an equally bad sort of a problem like i think i think this whole mortal existence of ours is really wired to growth and stretching is a very good thing and i think part of enjoying the journey is not to be stagnant like i t- i've told i've told my kids i've got some son-in-laws now as well i've got a bunch of adult children and i've told all of them like i want something I want something that will really challenge you to your core. Like maybe you'll make money, maybe you'll struggle, whatever. You'll probably do both. You'll probably make some money, then you won't make some money, right? Then you'll make some money, then you won't make some money, right? Whatever, right? But like, I I like people being tested and I love the growth that comes with that. That's part of the, that's part of, I think that's a really important part of the human journey.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think that it's not just, philosophical or theoretical, because you nope. see people that retire every day. and they die. They die when they retire. They die when they have nothing else to do. Yeah,
1: that's right. We're well, not built- for animation.
0: like, Amen. right away. Yeah.
1: Right, right away. It's not, it doesn't take long. It's an 18 month, yeah. like, death sentence a lot of times. Like, you have got, human beings are built for progress yeah. and growth and contribution, right? And, and we, right? We atrophy really fast if we're not careful. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. No good advice. Okay. Um, last thing before we close up, where do people connect with you online? Do you have socials that you want to plug in yep, the show? Yep.
1: LinkedIn is my favorite. Yeah. Just, just, uh, Chris McChesney on LinkedIn. And, um, uh, and then that, if you, if you want to reach out, uh, my business manager, Nick, uh, Smith, he's a great guy. He responds to all the inquiries on, uh, on the the website uh chris 40 xcom and you can get me through the franklin covey website as well and um just scott it's been a pleasure man i really enjoyed our conversation today it was it was really it was, it was unique
0: conversation thank you man i appreciate that